Live from Whoville, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Well, hello, folks. Welcome from Who. Greetings from Whoville. This is uh, your host Timothy Deal, and this is your co-host Nick Hayden. <laughs> I guess we're both co-hosts. Well, you'll we, be your host today. Well, I guess I guess so technically. Um, but yeah, welcome. Uh, it's for another fun-filled holiday adventure well, here in Whoville. We're in a relatively nice location once again. I know uh, it's nice for a change. You know, because it's, like, it's almost a little too cute occasionally. <laughs> occasionally, <But. laughs> sometimes there's a little hustle bustle. You know, they gotta lay out all the hoo brick and run up to get more and. Yeah. They, they're very festive around here. They're very, very festive, and they take a long time doing it. Make sure <laughs> everything's just right. Yes. So, and good, good for them. And yeah. uh, how was how was your Thanksgiving, Nick? Oh, my Thanksgiving was very good. It was good. I don't know. I, it was it was delicious. <laughs> we had a lot of ham. Yes. No turkey. No turkey. No turkey. Oh, is that a Hayden thing? Or? No, we just decided to do it this year. We all oh, like okay. ham better. <laughs> I think that's a Hoosier thing in general. At least from that's something I get from my southern grandmother. Hmm. have ham a whole lot more often yeah so we liked it yeah so good yeah well i did have turkey i went, we went traditional i can't believe you tell <laughs> here i hear they will never talk to you again i hear that i hear they prefer the roast beast no, yes they like the roast beast which i don't think i've had I don't, it, not in true who fashion not in true yes i'm not even entirely sure what roast beast is i no i suppose it could be about anything yeah well they make hot dogs out of <laughs> Possibly, but hopefully, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we we're any, very festive tonight. Yes. Anywho, see what I did there? Oh, nice. <laughs> Better do story school. <laughs> see, we had the music. We had the music transition coming up, so I had to hurry us on to the topic. That was, that was nice. Well, we could just keep music going in the middle of everything we do, like we do some episodes. Yeah, well, we'd, we want to try to avoid that sort of thing <laughs> when possible. Yes, we're not talking about chaos today in story school. <laughs> um, actually, today's topic, well, it is sort of chaotic in a sense, depending on how you look at it. Anywho, today I thought... <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> It'd be interesting to talk about uh, entertainment glut, because we live in a very uh, media-saturated society. I think it's safe to say there's probably never been more storytelling to keep up with at any point in time than right now. Can't imagine. Yeah. Unless you were trapped in a library. <laughs> but, I mean, think about just the, the sheer number of uh, forms of storytelling, yeah. which I mean, we talked about. When, you know, you got the written form, you got books, you got TV. Theoret technically, there's still a radio, audio, dramas audio dramas all over there. podcasting. Podcasting, I, yeah, those are that's good occasionally. Uh, the YouTube on uh, YouTube, I think they get like you know how many years worth of video every day. Yeah, um, it's impossible. It's almost impossible to keep up. With. Interactive fiction, you know, because there's five of us that still play that. <laughs> there's that. And um, and it gets tricky too, trying to figure out what's the stuff that most deserves your time, um, or how do you, how do you even start choosing? Sometimes you know, you, yeah. I mean, sometimes just like I think I might have said this on the podcast before, but sometimes you go to a bookstore and I'm just depressed. Be just like, okay, I'm done. I yeah. can't read any of this. You know, it take me. You know, it takes me a year to read. You know, four books. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. 
some of that stuff is easy to make, you know, some decisions on like, okay, obviously this has really filthy language or this, you know, has way more sex in it than I really want to read about or, or, you know, there's always those things that, but the problem now is almost that there's almost too much good stuff. There's a lot of good, I mean, like, you know, just in TV, it's like the golden age of TV if you want to watch a good TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, and, you know, and here's the problem. If you're just keeping up with, Zach and I have had this discussion the other day, um, my brother Zach, that I would I told him I wouldn't need any more books. I could just survive on the books I have down in the basement reading them over and over again. But he's like, there's so much good stuff still coming out. And that's the problem, that mm-hmm. you could be happy reading just the old good stuff. Yeah. Well, and if, if you think about, like, the movie industry, you know, you, you there are new movies in the theater every weekend. Obviously, not everyone. Everyone is worth watching. But just if you look at just the quantity out mm-hmm. there, that's... You know, at least one new movie every week. That's fifty-two movies a year. And then how how many years you've been alive? Okay, so you know, say where you're you've been around for thirty years. Mm-hmm. That's fifty times thirty. You're the math whiz. That's fifteen hundred. Uh, yeah, I mean that's a lot of movies that come out just within our lifetimes. Yeah. Though alone, you know, all the great movies that Brian would introduce yeah. to us from classic. And then period. all the bad movies you introduced by three robots. So. <laughs> yeah, by yeah, Mystery <laughs> Science three thousand. So, and, and I'm with you right there with you with a TV thing, too, because they used to say there's like 500 channels out there and there's nothing good on. Yeah. Well, now, even if you're looking at just the main, the basic network channels, there's still a lot. I mean, there's actually a lot of good stuff yeah. on. I mean, there's still a lot of channels with nothing on. Well, but <laughs> Granted, granted. That's why I think cable is an absolute waste of yeah. money anymore, especially when... I mean, that's the, that's the nice thing about the internet. You can yeah. watch things whenever you want, mm-hmm. you know, whenever it's convenient for you. And that's, honestly, that's how I watch probably most of my stuff now. Yeah. There's a lot of angles you can take this from. And I guess, first, maybe how do you start making the choices about how to watch things? Well, I think, Or do you make choices? I don't, I think, yeah. <laughs> I, I think everyone has to make some choices because there's going to be some genres that you're just naturally inclined towards and some that you yeah. probably are not. I don't watch hardly any reality yeah. TV. Um, I know that's something that you have succumbed to, but <laughs> occasionally I I watch some some uh, Survivor, not as much as my brother does, but I watch some Survivor, and occasionally I will watch some other this here or that. And normally, it's very popcorny, like I got a half hour to kill, so. right? Actiony sort of something like that. Well, there was like this mystery one on that I thought was kind of oh, fun, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, well, I guess I mentioned that because. The thing with, like, say, book, especially, what works for movies and TV, is that many ways, in many ways, when you can't make, there's so many choices, you watch or you read what everyone else is watching and reading. Mm-hmm. Not because it's bad necessarily, but it's. You don't want to feel it, out of the loop. You, you don't want to feel out of the loop, and it's one of the easiest ways to figure out what well, other people like. It must be good. Mm-hmm. You know, books, especially, you know, because that's a, t- you know, movie, you know, TV show, you can watch half an hour and be like, okay, I'm not going to watch the rest of the season or whatever. A book, you know, even if you're just going to read 50 pages and make your decision. For most so, people, that's a heavy time. Yeah, commitment. exactly. And most people, when they get that far in, they're like, well, I'll just finish this thing unless it's, you know, will time. <laughs> so, so I had to throw that in there. Of course. <laughs> that's all I've got. <laughs> no, but, I, and I think there's a good and bad thing about that. It does build community to a certain extent, you know, an interactivity. And, and that's, you know, the, the one upside to watching things when it live, not on the internet. Right. Is that you're like, oh, we're all watching at the same time, and tomorrow I can go and tell people that, oh, did you see, you know, Rumpelstiltskin's mother is Mother Goose. Um, <laughs> Which has not actually no, happened yet, but no. it, it could. <laughs> or Mother Gothel, or whatever. 
they won't, they're going to pull her out. You know that. They got to. Rumpelstiltskin's uh, mother? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Gothel, I think. Yeah. Who's, is that's, uh, who's Gothel? I'm trying no, to No, that's, mother, that's, that's the name of Rumpelstiltskin's mom, I believe. Or Really? Or her stepmom thing. I don't remember that. I, th- I think, well, was, I think in, in. I didn't think Rumpelstiltskin had a backstory. No, 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 no. This is Rumpelstiltskin, Rapunzel. Sorry, oh, Rapunzel. I've been saying that too many times. Sorry, <laughs> I was thinking Rapunzel in my head. Like in my head, I saw R A P Z U N E L. Like actually, I saw that those words. <laughs> so, well, yeah. Well, talk about Once Upon a Time. Obviously, we think we assume you're talking Rumpelstiltskin. I know, I know. <laughs> so, anyways, but now with the internet, there's so many smaller groups. They'd be like, oh, everyone's in my anime group is watching fill in the blank, or everyone in my you know, cool sci-fi shows that no one watches is watching this. Or yeah, everyone in my bonnet movie Puritan religious book group is reading this. I don't know. Well, okay. Now, there probably is a group about that somewhere. <laughs> probably somewhere. A book club, maybe. Yeah. With all old grandmas, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and you. Not to be completely stereotypical. <laughs> But and I think in many ways, when we don't know what we're going getting into, that's about the only thing you have to bank decisions off of, mm-hmm. which is good and bad. Yeah. But then you know, from a creating point of view, it's harder. You gotta get that group somehow to say, yeah. "Oh, look, let's read this thing that no one's reading." You know, <laughs> no one does that. Well, okay. I mean, some people do on purpose. Well, yeah. There's a group that reads things that no one else is reading. Right. Yeah. I mean, my mom's book group, I think, is, is pretty interesting because I'll talk about it with her sometimes. Yeah. What she, I mean, and they read stuff that she would never read on her own. But I think it's interesting what they'll do is that they take suggestions from the whole group. And uh, that's how she got them to read uh, Brothers Karmazov, I believe. Woohoo! <laughs> I remember talking to her about that. It was yeah. good stuff. Oh, yeah. But then there will be other stuff that she doesn't really care much. And then they get together. And some people care about it and some people don't. Yeah. They're very eclectic. So yeah. and and That's that, cool. And that kind of thing is nice. I, I know for a brief time before I even went to film school, we had our own little uh, film club thing. Yeah. They met once a month. And I think our, our goal in that class – or that – no, it wasn't class. In that group was <laughs> to watch something that we would never watch otherwise. Yeah, things like that we knew we should have watched to be educated but had not. Yeah. That's, so that's that's how I saw Citizen Kane yep. before I actually went to film school, um, and most of those movies we wound up really yeah. enjoying. I mean, I think the only one we were all kind of meh on was Annie Hall. Yeah, but um, we saw what Grave of the Fireflies in that group. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that was a heavy one. It was a heavy one. But yeah, it was a good group. But we all did it for like four or five months, I think. But and and that kind of thing is nice, and and that's one of the things I appreciated too about having Brian on the show because mm-hmm. Brian got introduced me to. Class of movies that like you, I don't all, wouldn't necessarily yeah. watch by myself. Well, like last, I was with Brian last night, and we watched. Um, do he just picks out random eclectic stuff now? Now it's not always classics. Though I had ten choices, but we ended up watching the assassination of Jesse James by the coward uh, Robert Ford. Oh yeah, that came out a few years ago. Yeah, and then we watched uh, the 2001 Godzilla movie. <laughs> that is that's a very funny mix. It was it was great. It I, was a good it was a good balance. I take it you watched the Godzilla after. Yes, it okay. was it was a good. Uh, it was actually a really good Godzilla too. Have you seen the trailer for the new one? I did. Uh, no, Next no, one. I'm not. Wait, supposed, I guess it's supposed to what, come out in May or something. Yeah, what trailer did I just see recently? I guess it was not that one. I saw some other trailer. Someone told me to watch. It's a it's a good trailer. Like I care nothing about Godzilla. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Nathan. Um, <laughs> I have I really have no interest, but it's like wow, that was very cinematic and very well done. I think it's well, I don't know, it's, it's impossible to say from a trailer, but it has a possibility of being better than Pacific Rim. Yeah, nice <laughs> and well, different. Anyway. Different, yeah. 
Yeah. Anyways, back to Glot. Yes. So, so I think, I mean, that's a good way. You know, you hear from people you trust. You know, that's how Tim and I the other day, confession, neither of us has ever seen an episode of Breaking Bad. Even though apparently <laughs> anyone who's awesome has. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the other day we were all like, you know, we didn't, we weren't interested, but... I heard I was hearing things from this corner, and you were hearing things from that corner. Like maybe, possibly, we should try this thing. Yeah. Well, and the funny <laughs> thing about the funny thing about that is that it was a story. It didn't sound interesting when we first heard about it, but then after time, it wasn't just the hype. Like yeah. if it was just hype, that wouldn't have interested we, we me that much. Yeah. But it was the it was what we were hearing about how they were handling this character. Yes. That's what intrigued us. So if you're Breaking Bad fan, we apologize. <laughs> <laughs> we have not had any Breaking Bad, but you never. We've thought about what, going through and watching yeah. it sometime. But anyway, so so that's that's one way we kind of help yeah. you know uh, stifle down the glut, seeing, um, hearing good recommendations from things. And people, from people you trust. From people you yeah. trust. Yeah, that's a, you know that's an important thing. You know that's why I read Hamlet. You know just a few years ago, it's like you know this seems kind of important. Yeah. <laughs> As as my sister likes quoting uh, Emperor's New Groove a lot. <laughs> now that is a movie everyone should watch. <laughs> yes, Kronk. This is kind of important. <laughs> On the flip side of that interesting story, I, I watch this uh, internet reviewer sometimes, Doug Walker. He's been going through uh, live act, talking about live action Disney movies this month, and he was talking about Mary Poppins and how it was one of his favorites growing up. And he figured like you know everyone has seen this, everyone should have a copy of it. Well, then a few days later, I read this interview with the actress who was a little the little girl in the movie played Jane mm -hmm. and it was interesting that she said that she never showed Mary Poppins to her kids not because she didn't you know enjoy the experience or anything she did but she didn't want her kids to see her as something other than just oh. a mom yeah. sort of thing um, and then once she saw it obviously she enjoyed it but I just thought that was interesting uh, some who and whoville's phone is going off um, but I just thought that was interesting that, you know, here's a movie that some people think is just, you know, must be seen. You can't be American, an American kid without having seen it. And then yet here's this person saying like, no, my kids, they went through it. They didn't mind. Uh, not, you know, it was the right time for them to see it when they did. And of course they're all grown up now and, uh, live listeners, listeners will enjoy this cause I'm in the middle <laughs> cause Nick just walked out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, even Whoville, you get those people calling Wayne donations. <laughs> Who is that? Someone asking for a donation. Oh, donation. <laughs> <laughs> even in Whoville, yeah. Wow. I guess they're... they're well, they're cheery. I mean, why needy, not? For all the needy Whovians. Yeah. Or all the... All well, I guess the... they're not Whovians. Those are Dr. Who I think... Well, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They were asking for some money for some guy named um, Yertle, I think. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's uh, not not for their friend uh, Horton. I, I well no I think that's another I got a call for him yesterday. Oh, okay, yeah. that's a different branch of who Whoville. Or yeah, who yeah. Or, Anyway, <laughs> who've dumb. Who've <laughs> <laughs> dumb. Okay. Yes, Before, I do apologize for being gone. Okay, so anyway, the point I was making is that here, so here are these kids that didn't see this movie that everyone yeah. considers like American classic. Yeah. You don't know your American Americana Disney yeah. without having seen this. Uh, then here it doesn't really matter. So, you know, you can get away without knowing this stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I think what you're assumed to know now is shifts depending on where you are nowadays. You know, because you know, many years, you know, you sure you had to read the Roman classics. You know, if you hadn't read Homer and Beowulf and things like that, you weren't educated. And now, I don't think anyone cares unless I mean. I still think you should read the classics, but, you know, even in English class, they're, they're teaching more stuff from, like, 1920 on. Yeah. 
you know, because there's so much stuff. And we do have a tendency to discount the old when new comes in. Yes. Which um, is not, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah, it's not always fair. But, you know, but I understand it when it comes to schools a lot of times. Now, not in every case, because some some schools have their students read just garbage. Yeah. Um, but I do get, um, it's not worth trying to force a child to read the Odyssey, for example, if they're not inherently interested, because yeah. they're going to just muddle through it. They're not going to enjoy it. They're not going to understand it. Yeah. So you have to have something that still teaches them critical reading skills, yeah. but that they can identify with. And, and yes, okay. it, it's, it, it's interesting. I, along with glut, I think sometimes, and this might be off topic from what you were talking about, but you have a sense sometimes you want to be well-rounded. You want to be in touch with all of the cultural, cultural touchstones. And, and sometimes you just want to, be up on your fandom, you know, your, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your Star Wars fan, you want to have read all the important books yeah, <laughs> um, or whatever. Yeah. And I think the danger in that is couple at some point, then it stops the reason you're in take your reading or watching stops being mm. to enjoy it and, and to absorb it as art and becomes more of a, a checklist or a absorbing of knowledge mm. and or a responsibility or responsibility. Or yeah. and, and I don't think art's supposed to be done that way. You know, mm. you're right, because if you teach Homer and you kill the joy of reading Homer, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Hopefully, if you teach them to read classic books, you, it's so that they want to go back and read other classic books. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that's a very interesting point, because I've been, that's something I've been sort of wrestling with. This, I mean, I, I probably don't watch TV as much as some people, but... I do realize like there's like seven shows now that I watch on a regular basis and I try to keep up with. I'm not sure if I've ever had so many yeah. that I that I keep up with. And part of the, my reasoning for, for having done that, I think, is that I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to want to know how this goes. So I might as well watch it as it comes out as opposed yeah. to getting the DVD later or something yeah. like that, which I guess has some validity to it. But at the same time, that's where, like I said, it comes more. It probably is too much responsibility and not as much, well, what value is this adding to my life? Yeah. And, and I think the gut reaction of a human is to want more and more. You know, you want, I'll just listen to a podcast about that today um, from a theological point of view. But um, we want more. You know, the, they were saying that, you know, the part of the, the original fall of man was that they weren't content with what God had already given them. They wanted more than that. And, and this idea that, Oh, if one book's good, ten are better. If you know one TV show is good, ten you know ten is better. And not that it's, you know there's a lot of good stuff worth enjoying, mm-hmm. but I think the culture is going to push people inherently to continually consume. And I think there's a both a freedom and a I don't know maybe even a greater enjoyment of things if you purposely limit. Mm-hmm. If you purposely say, look, I'm not going to try to be knowledgeable on all things. You know, I'm going to, this is one thing I really like. I'm going to stick with this one and really enjoy this one thing or these two things as opposed to I'm going to try to be, you know, know all things about all things. Yeah. Most people cannot be Renaissance men. Yes. The... Though we all want to be. Yes. <laughs> well, that's, and that's the thing because, you know, you want to, I don't know if it's a bad aspiration. No, to not to, necessarily. To want to be interested. And I think, you know, I, I think that, and that's, I think that's encouraged at an early and earlier age now, you know, because parents want the their child to feel free to go go out and do and be and see whatever yeah. they want. But you have to learn where to draw the line. Yeah. Because sometimes I see these people who are like, they're professors of like medieval French literature. And you're like, 
at first like that's bizarre why would we do such a tiny thing then i'm thinking but think of that they know this one thing like the back of their hand hmm. you know they know it deeply it's one thing to read lord of the rings and like is another thing to have like read all the histories of middle earth and do like i grok tolkien <laughs> um i remember i had to go back and speak to some writing majors one time and at taylor at taylor fort wayne back when uh i don't remember what what exactly their purpose was there um it, it was after chapel then they had us come and do a little thing for the writing majors but they asked like how do you pick what to read and i said i just pick what i'm interested in right there you know so i went through my russian phase and i read all kinds of russian things and then i wasn't you know i'll probably go back to it and then you know right now i'm in my bradbury phase and i'm okay i don't read anything else and it doesn't bother me <laughs> you know i'm not you know i'm not like oh no but everyone else is reading fill in the blank i'm all worried yeah and I've, I've kind of come to accept that people will probably more and more identify me with the, hey, he's the Muppet guy. <laughs> like, I'm constantly getting people, like, posting on my Facebook Muppet-related things. And <laughs> half the time, like, I've already seen that, but thanks for sharing it with me. <laughs> and, you know, I, it's, I think it's okay to accept that. I mean, as long as, you know, I don't go overboard with it. Yeah. I'm not, like, stalking Steve Whitmire or anything. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot, you know. We can't all be eyes. Some of us need to be ears. You know, we, yeah. we're we not all entire bodies. I mean, I think we're being specialized in something is perfectly fine, you mm -hmm. know. And I think in some ways freeing that you don't have to feel compelled to know exactly what everyone is talking about all the time. Right. And honestly, if you're, if you're so consumed with making sure you're up to date on, you know, a show or the current shows or anything like that, you know, that in a sense, you kind of have to take a hard look at that and ask yourself, okay, is that becoming an idol? Yeah. I mean, I've had to do that before. I had to step away from something for a while, yeah. fast from it, just to get the priorities in the right place. Yeah. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of entertainment and joy and pleasure taken from art, but I think it's still one part of life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. A very good part and part necessary from the, you know, you almost need work and stuff, real life and work so they can enjoy art. Mm. And you you need art so you can enjoy you know like back and forth you yeah. know if I, all I did some people say I want to just read every day all the time I don't I wouldn't want that I don't think I would enjoy reading constantly mm. because then you'd be like I want to go out and do something yeah, do, yeah exactly exactly and I think people who are creative can get into this rut a little bit you know very easily um, because this is not only is this our hobby it's our passion mm -hmm. it's uh, yeah. we have very deep feelings about this so yes. it's, it's not only the the uh, instinct of wanting to know everything that's going on but it's also the this is who this is part yeah. of who i am yeah this we want to know the pulse and we want to see how other people do it and we want to be exposed to things that might inspire us better and mm -hmm. yeah so i think for creatives especially i'll need the outlet of real life in a sense yes. and i think if you're missing that you kind of like need to just take a second look yeah yeah so and that's kind of what this whole conversation has been yeah. about real life is good stuff you know, is this real life or is it a fantasy? <laughs> okay, anyway, for very Pardon random me. queen. <laughs> hey, now you can do that whenever. <laughs> I don't really have much aside from that. That's that's what I got. Rocky. That's, that's, all, that's I got. all I got. That's the, Honestly, yeah. I probably wouldn't even know that if it wasn't for the Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, well, you know, like last episode, I was, I was confessing that you know I bring up the same examples all the time because yeah. that's what I know, and I don't feel compelled. Uh, not compelled. I don't feel worried that I don't necessarily know deeply. You know, Nathan knows Godzilla yeah. really well. You well, know, I don't. I enjoy Godzilla. And honestly, pop culture or pop music in general is probably that way for me. I don't understand how people follow like 
all the pop music uh, yeah. artists that are out there. Because I really like I, I've never really want cared enough to dip my toes into that. See, Natasha keeps track of all the YA stuff, and I don't, you know, I tr- keep track of everything pre nineteen hundred, and <laughs> no, not quite like that. But well, pretty bad. Very twenty. I know. No. <laughs> No, I do. 20, I do some 20th century now. Science fiction, I do, obviously, because there's not that much before. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, science fiction doesn't seem like it's still that big of a genre as it, as it could be. No, if, if 40s, like 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, it was really big, and okay. then and then kind of fantasy overtook it, and spec in that kind of mid. I mean, hard sci-fi is not it's not done quite as much anymore. No, I mean, I think it, I think there's very strong circles where it is, but yeah, it's it's less now. Okay. From what I understand. Well, not Bradbury's not really science fiction. I mean, it is, but it's not, depending how you define things. <laughs> okay. So, yes. All right. A little rambly. But well, a little that, rambly, but I think it's good. It's good, right? You know, right around Christmas, because, you know, you're, you're looking at all the stories, like, you know, I was at, I was shopping for, you know, people. I'm like, oh, that would be fun to watch sometime. Oh, that book would be fun to read. And, you know, you get this giant list, and then, which is why, you know, on my nightstand, I have about, normally, it's a little bigger right now. I have, like, two or three books, and I'm like, okay. I'm not getting any more books up here. There might be somewhere else until I finish one of these. Mm-hmm. And commercialism doesn't help with that. No, because then, because sometimes you just want to own it and yeah. instead of read it. And I mean, not that you don't mean to read it, but it's like once you own it, half of it's done. <laughs> You've you you own yeah. You feel yeah. like you have some license. Hey, I have that on my shelf. I have that on my shelf. Yeah, yeah. I I. I mean to read it, and then, you know, it's 20 years later, you're like, I mean to read it. <laughs> and, you know, I'd almost rather not ever buy a book unless I'm ready to read it right now. I remember uh, a couple years ago being at Barnes & Noble. Um, don't tell Summer. Uh, <laughs> oh, she loves Barnes & Noble. I mean, going there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I was at Barnes & Noble, and I noticed there is, like, an entire shelf of Charlie Brown Christmas stuff. And, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas sort of has this, you know, it's sort of anti-commercialism yeah. in it. And yet there's this whole shelf of, of DVDs and soundtrack and books and figurines. and <laughs> Oh, man. It's like... Charlie Brown uh, would come in there like, even my own dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's like, uh, I don't know what the answer there is. I yeah. mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because obviously people want it and people like the idea of Charlie Brown. And the non-commercialism and the true meaning, you know, but yeah. It's, and the it's, simple, and the simplicity, and simplicity stuff, but. Yeah, it's always, yeah, it, uh, the struggle for simplicity in this world is. Very difficult. Very difficult, I think very rewarding when you manage it. Yes. Whenever, you, I mean, in, in times when you manage it. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, you know, I come home and there's the kids and play with them for, until they go to bed. And then I write a little bit and then I read a little bit and go to bed. I mean, that's, that's enough for me. As long, if a man can be happy and enjoy his day's work. Exactly. That's enough. That, too, is a gift of God. That, indeed. With that said, um, be thinking about your New Year's resolutions <laughs> in, <laughs> in regards to uh, how you spend your time, and we will move on to soundtrack. Okay, for uh, my soundtrack today, I always try to pick something kind of Christmassy, which Nick's uh, chafes at, but, <laughs> uh, but uh, I didn't manage to find something. Uh, this is from, apparently Overclock Remix has a Christmas album. Um, I don't think it's it has quite the same level of scrutiny that the website does in terms no, of like, it's, it's, it's not just judged. Unap- 
Yeah, it's just unofficial. So unofficial. We're just throw sort of whatever we want in it. Okay. I think. But this is one that was uh, from last year's Overclock Christmas album that also made it onto the site itself. It's a remix from Rice Star, which I've never played. Um, and it's called Stars on Ice, remixed by Dusk with some piano assistance from Rexy. I like those names. Those are easy names. <laughs> those are easy names. And I think it's very Christmassy. So uh, here it is, and hope you enjoy. And we're back. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, let's move into our take on Tales. 
right. So what we thought we'd do this year, uh, we've done in end of the year stuff before we've talked about Pat Hawk Christmas specials and things like mm -hmm. that. We're not going to do that this year because we're kind of out of topics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can only talk. It's so many Christmas related. Yeah. Stories. And if Brian, I, I actually haven't watched hardly any Christmas this year yet. I haven't either. I mean, it is a little early, but. Well. What? After Halloween, you're supposed to start watching <laughs> Christmas stuff. Well, you, you said you you showed Theo uh, um, Charlie Brown. Well, oh, Muppet. Muppet's Family Christmas. Yeah, so that is great. That's good stuff. So, but so what? Instead, we're going to talk about. Uh, we thought we'd talk about uh, would help you with your Christmas shopping. Yes, and talk about since there is so much entertainment glut out there. What are some of our favorite stories that we've encountered uh, this year? This something, year, something that we've read, something that we've seen a movie or what or whatever. Um, and that could these are our recommended gifts to you. Um, or yes. if you know us, these could be good uh, Christmas presents for us. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Tim, you start. Yeah, I think I have ideas, but I'm still processing. Still processing. Okay, well, I think I can pretty easily name my favorite book for the year. Uh, you want to take a guess of what that was? Um, your Jim Henson biography. Yes. Jim Henson, the biography. If if you are at all interested, if the concept of reading uh, Jim Henson biography in interests you. It does. You you need to read this book. I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's written by uh, Brian J. Jones. I hope I'm getting his name right because I don't have it in front of me. But he does a fantastic job. Um, and it's it's like a 500-page biography, and it's all worth it. You'll know when you when you start off that this is you know he's you're getting into a nice detailed biography and it's been a while since I read one like this because um, like the first chapter is a lot about his family history like it goes back to his grandfather who was in the Civil War and stuff like that and it it gives sort of an interesting picture just into his his parents what his father was like how he got a lot of his uh, his habits of constantly seeking you know respecting other yeah. people but always seeking the best solution to things and uh he, he really tried to avoid conflict and that 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 carried on to jim too sometimes to the detriment one interesting thing about this biography which i was really looking forward to going into it and i was glad that they did um was that it didn't um it didn't shy away from from talking about some of the more difficult things about jim's life um, most previous works had been you know basically put out by the Jim Henson company and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And this was this was authorized by the Henson family. So it's not like he was trying to sensationalize. And honestly, it's not like it's going to it's going to paint you're going to read this and think, "Oh man, Jim Henson was a horrible person." No. He, he comes <laughs> out he comes out very human, but it yeah. is honest and that's, you know, he he and his wife had very different communication styles okay. and that eventually led to their uh, legal separation. Um, but oddly enough, they were always good friends. Huh. Is Brian Henson says at some point, uh, my mom and my dad, they always got along, except when they didn't. <laughs> uh, and that's, it's pretty accurate. So it's, it's a, it's a great read. Um, and it, and it goes into some detail about the various productions, but it doesn't, it's not fully about that. It, you know, it covers a wide spectrum about his life. I mean, in a large sense, Jim Henson's life was about his work. He loved, he absolutely loved what he did. And he loved to work, but it you know also goes into some other things, some good, some bad. Um, the one one warning I would give to more conservative readers is that the, while the author doesn't you know ever use any uh, vulgarities of his own, he he does leave them in when someone um, you know cusses in one of his quotes. Yeah, he did some great interviews with he he must have interviewed a lot of people in the making. I think he was working on this book for like five years. Wow. 
And um, so some people did. Actually, Frank Oz is kind of a filthy mouth. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean. Miss Piggy? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't terribly surprised about it. But at this point, I remember reading like way back before Phantom Menace came out about like behind the scenes stuff and about how, you know, when Yoda was still a yeah. puppet. Yeah. How uh, he would have Frank kind of, you know, as a joke, have Yoda cuss people out, and it's like, eh, okay, that that's just Frank, yeah. honestly, it's hmm. just him. So be aware that he drops an f bomb maybe in like every three quotes that okay. he has in him. But other than that, it's a great read, and I'd recommend it to anybody. Nice. Well, my my, my seminal book for the year, I believe, it was early this year. I don't think it was late last year. Would have to be the Il- the Illustrated Man by Ray Bradbury. Oh, okay. You need to read that book. Right now, I know last year you you talked about one Ray Bradbury short collection thing you had done. I don't remember what that was. The now. Cat's Pajamas. Okay, yeah, that's what yeah. it was. Yeah. Which was my introduction. Well, okay, I guess, I guess I was technically introduced to him in school through Fahrenheit 451 and stuff like that, and I didn't remember much about him. You know, I read, I don't, I don't think I read almost anything by him unless I had to, and I read a lot of Asimov and other stuff. But I read Cat's Pajamas, I think, right after Ren was born, mm. which would have been almost two years ago now. And then I didn't read, you know, I'd always been interested. I liked it enough. I wanted to read something else. And I eyed this this used copy of Illustrated Man. And uh, you know what? I would have got it for when Natasha got her third degree, I think. No, no, no. Third no. degree Taekwondo? Taekwondo. No, no, that's what got the other one. I think it might have been my birthday last year I got it. Oh, okay. Anyway, so I would have not probably finished it until. Anyways, it's a year ago approximately. But you read it sometime this year. Yeah, but anyway, it started this year long obsession with Ray Bradbury, which our friend Aaron highly approves. Uh, yeah, of. yeah. I mean, Aaron has known about Bradbury forever, and apparently never listened to him. But, um, but here's the reason. I mean, why would Il- Illustrated Man, especially, even though everything I've read for by him, I've generally enjoyed that particular collection was just. It was all it was all kinds of stories, all kinds of I mean, they're all spacey stories generally, but they're just it's like, I don't know, probably nearly 20 short stories or something there. And every one of them is awesome. I mean, every one of them is like, this is good, like good stuff. And I, I don't know, it just introduced me to a whole different way of doing short stories, you know, not just not obsessed with reading short stories. And then I read Bend, Line, Wine and Quicker Than I and I'm reading Martian Chronicles. I got like. 10 pages left of that now but i also oh and i got another i got uh something uh something wicked this way comes for my birthday to read but it's also changed how i think about writing short stories hmm. like i i used to write short stories one way and then I went to my flash fiction phase where phase phase where i could you know i really was thinking of these really tiny ones and then it's like re-expanded how i can describe things and how you can pace stuff and hmm. i don't know it's he's very, very good. Um, and so that's been probably my most important book for me this year. There's been other books I've enjoyed, mm-hmm. um, but that one's had a lasting impact on me this year. Cool. So, awesome. So come on, just because it's from like 1940s or 50s, it's awesome. Now, how? What's a, what time span did he write in? Like how, how long was... <laughs> he wrote until he died just about, I think. I mean, Cat's Pajamas... <laughs> well, that's what I figured, but I mean, it's like... Oh, okay. I mean, because he, he only died a few years. Martian ago, Chronicles, right. the some of the short stories in that were published in the '40s. I think he published some even before that. And no, quicker than I, I think was stuff from the '80s or '90s. Cat's Pajamas was later than that. Okay. So, I mean, he was probably most popular back in the '40s, '50s when you do you could do short stories anywhere. Mm-hmm. 
But he has, you know, dozens of the collections. Okay. So, so. good body of work there. Yes. To go check out. <laughs> now, Hundreds, I think. So which one would you recommend to someone starting out? I would I would still say Illustrated Man. Illustrated from, Man. Of one that I read. Okay. Or Martian Chronicles. I mean, Martian Chronicles is probably the closest to being a, a novel. I mean, it's really short stories, but they connect. Illustrated Man is just random short stories in kind of the same similar vein of space. But, like, there's five or six of them on Mars, but they're all completely different Mars is okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or possibly, I haven't read Fahrenheit 451 since college, since oh, middle school. That's probably most people's. That's what, yeah. yeah. But so I can't. I don't remember enough of that to say if it's a good introduction or not. I mean, for okay. reading in short stories. Gotcha. All right. Um, I'm but, trying to think of movies though. I've, yeah. I've a lot of good movies, but I don't know if anything that were like. Um, doom. I would say one that stands out for me and I don't think it's probably not on DVD yet so maybe this isn't a good <laughs> something you can get for you can get a gift certificate for it maybe I don't, I don't know but uh, Gravity really sticks out oh, see, in my I mind I haven't seen that yet um, I mean I, I loved I've I really enjoyed pretty much all the blockbuster movies I saw they were, this they year were, they were pretty good all uh, of them this all, year yeah all around uh, you know th- uh, Thor being the most recent well and Catching Fire was, mm-hmm. Catching Fire was really good yeah uh, that was really good um, I'm trying to think what, remember what came out this summer um so obviously Wolverine didn't didn't make as, quite as much an impression because I'm not thinking about, but I'd say in terms of just sheer filmmaking, I'd say Gravity is probably the one that really um, impressed me the most. The one that like made me forget to breathe some a lot of times while I was at the theater and just like just really grabbed me by the throat and you know didn't like. It. I mean, if you like that sensation in. Um, Cloverfield, yeah. Then you you'll really enjoy. This, I've heard this only movie. people tell me good stuff about it. Yeah, so. I, it's it's bound. I think it will probably, honestly, it will probably hit DVD around award season time. Okay, because yeah. uh, there there'd already been talk about it, and you know, and it's a suspense movie. I mean, it's, I mean, it's it's also a it's a survival uh, movie. It's about surviving in space, um, but it relies more on just the whole suspense of the situation in a wonderful filmic way than just merely, you know, dodging buildings yeah. and and skyscrapers falling around you and stuff like that. <laughs> nice. So that's I'd say Gravity is probably going to be at the top of a lot of people's best yeah. films of the year list. I can. Yeah. And I haven't seen it yet, but and next, of course next year's will be Muppets Most Wanted. That's yeah, well, another story. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Have you seen the trailers for that? Yes, <laughs> it looks fun. It looks great. It looks. I'm quite inter- I'm quite happy about the potential to for it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I. I guess maybe my memory's just not working very well. But I think there's a lot of you know good stuff, but nothing that stands out for me movie wise. Like, it doesn't have to be a movie that came or, out this year. Just something you saw this year. Uh, yeah. Well, true. But I'm trying to think. What has had a lasting impact on me? Yeah, it's all this list today where you're supposed to just say 10 books that have had an impact on you. You just had to do it kind of off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. And you weren't supposed to, you know, they had to be great books or anything, just things that you're like, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I don't know. My my brain's dead. <laughs> okay. I know it's, it's all Bradbury filled, I guess. All the movies just kind of flew over you. Just, yeah, I'm. We actually, I actually saw more in the theater this year than normal. And we, we don't have Netflix and we don't watch as many at home as we used to. And there were some that, you know, like Children of Men, that was really interesting, but uh, not sure I exactly like it. Mm-hmm. You know, so th- th- those sort of movies. Um, I had a lot of those movies, it seems like. Movies that, like, I almost really liked. 
Um, another, it's actually just to jump back to the book thing real yeah. quick. I think another book that definitely should be on everybody's list this year is The Unremarkable Squire. Oh, that one. In case we haven't plugged that one enough, <laughs> give you one more, uh, one more shout out here. No, it is, it is a very good book. I mean, I'm not saying that as author, I'm saying as, well, I, okay, I'm saying as the author, <laughs> but I'm not saying as a, to sell it. I think it actually is a good book. Yes. Um, I think it's one that a lot of people could really appreciate, yeah. um, get into. I, I will say, you earlier said things were written. Maybe it's just because of the end of the year. Like, I've, you know, I finished Squire this year. No, I didn't. Well, I got it out this year. Yeah. Um, and I wrote very short stories and some Children Wells stuff. But for some reason, I think the Clock Tower, um, which I know we've talked on here before, was really was really important for me to get done. I feel like that was one of those ones that I don't know if anyone will like it better than other stuff I've written, but I felt like it was a was something I had, needed to get done for a long time. But like it had first time I kind of combined my Bradbury inspiration with a, something I'd already started. Mm. If that makes any sense? It's it's kind of like initial. I got like this second or third wave of short stories that all have a different feel than my first, my previous. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. You've, you've kind of gone into this interesting new cerebral, like yeah. not quite reality sort of phase. I have. And I don't know if anyone will like it, but I enjoy it. <laughs> I sometimes think it must be like, you ever heard of Stanislaw Lem? No. The real guy, not Stuart Lem. Okay. No, Stan, I didn't know this, but Stanislaw, when I made the name, Stuart Lem is a... Uh, Originally was just a pseudonym for me. It was going to be my author pen name. Right. Um, it's my email. <laughs> and then he kind of took on a life of yeah. his own. But Stanislaw Lem is uh, a author Polish, I believe, who wrote Solaris among other things, hmm. the science fiction. And apparently he was a polymath. He was a Renaissance man. He knew everything. Wow. Um, insanely intelligent. And Solaris is very much that way. Very heady. But then I read some short stories by him. One of them's not like like this time travel short story. And this guy has like four versions of himself running around this ship, and it's just ridiculous. <laughs> and I thought it wasn't neat. He could do both types of things. Mm -hmm. And hopefully uh, someday I'll write some more crazy stuff. But yeah, I am in this kind of odd, like, I don't know how to explain it. I don't feel like that, but when people read my stuff now, they're like, wow, this is, well, like, Wells Orphan, this is dark. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. I still need to finish that thing. So, so you can, if you're feeling happy um, around January, you can come over to Children of the Wells and read my read my novella. <laughs> you know that I think about it. Well, the dead of winter might not have been the best time <laughs> to release something that quite that uh, depressing. Or is it? <laughs> so that's a ringing endorsement, right? There I know it is. <laughs> no, it is actually. I really, I think it's a really good book, but it's certainly. A little heavier. It's yeah. it's yeah. Anyways, I don't know how we got on that. I'm sorry. That was my fault. But <laughs> no, it's a good it's a good sidetrack, I think. So but Buckethead, I started working on Buckethead to revise it. Oh yeah, that's what I heard. So that we can finally get that out to people's mm -hmm. in some sort of normal format. That's much more adventuresome. Hey, it looks like Greg finally made it. Hey, huh. hey Greg. So okay, so it says two minutes ago. So hopefully we haven't missed like other <laughs> comments that he had. Um, <laughs> he says some people think that holidays are depressing, so maybe the Wells Orphan will cheer them up. <laughs> Poor person was cheered up by Wells Orphan. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being cheered up by Evangelion, right? Which hey, you could be actually. Some people probably. It's like saying uh, in the world, woohoo! No, well, no, it's it's like this. It's like um, <laughs> happiness is a sad song, Charlie Brown. <laughs> okay, yeah. Or uh, 
sad is happy for deep people. Well, <laughs> but I always remember that was that was the name of one of the collections of Charlie Brown's things. Like happiness is a sad song. Oh, okay. I saw it somewhere, and I thought that's true. You know, for some people, you know that that sort of like Natasha. She her favorite one of her favorite seasons is autumn when the leaves are coming down. And it's a little windy and it's a little rainy and kind of just a little cloudy. Mm-hmm. Kind of Katrina has a whole scene. I kind of, yeah. but that you know where things are kind of just a little down. You know, yeah. like a, like a happy melancholy. <laughs> okay, a happy melancholy. Yeah, I, I can see that because I mean I love autumn for because yeah. strangely enough, even though it's a season of things dying, it always it feels oddly alive to yeah. me. Like, I think it does to a lot of people. Summer kind of has this monotonous tone to it, whereas <laughs> sun. <laughs> <laughs> But autumn has, you know, dripping leaves and wind and coolness yeah. and all all the kind of stuff. Yeah. Winter is monotonous too, but well, yeah. Yeah. But anywho. Okay, we were way <laughs> off topic of what of um, but who we were trying to talk about uh, uh, our own Christmas things we suggest you should watch and or listen to. Yeah, things that or, made an impact on us or were some of our favorites from yeah. this from two thousand thirteen, which is coming to an end in a it few is. weeks. But uh, we kind of, I think we actually ran out of things to, we I must have had things that made, thing, a, I, made I, a deep impact. Yeah, I don't year. know. I was very content. I had a lot of, you know, a lot of my books I enjoyed and I got stuff out of, but yeah, I didn't, I just moved on. I have this thing where I don't have like strong memories. <laughs> <laughs> At all? No, no, seriously. Like, like, I don't, I, this is probably just my own perception of myself. I always feel like I don't remember things as strongly as other people do. Mm. That I just, I'm very present. I don't know. I Maybe could, I could be wrong about that. I, I could I could see that. Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I I, I empathize with that. Okay, and maybe everyone does, and you know, we all fake her. But I guess to, go, to try to get back <laughs> to the topic here for like the fifth time, <laughs> I will give a shout out to uh, to a kids book that um, my mom actually suggested for me. I mean, it's not very often. I mean, this isn't even necessarily YA. This is, um, I mean, this this was in the children's section, and I guess it was a bestseller, but I. And it came out around the time I was a teen librarian, but it was completely off my radar. Um, but it was called the uh, Mysterious Benedict Society. Okay, I've heard of it. You've heard of it? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of in the vein of Lemony Snicket in that it's got a good vocabulary. The author's got a real neat style to it, and, and it deals with, like, secret organizations and stuff. It's not Lemony Snicket in the sense of, like, you know, the purposely depressing type <laughs> stuff. <laughs> But it's it's pretty intelligent about like these three kids that are mysteriously they go through this test to basically qualify for this uh, secret assignment that this guy has who's very eccentric. And they have to basically infiltrate this academy that's up to some shady business sort of thing. So it's sort of like, well, no, I I was going to say like Harry Potter was spies, but that's not really accurate at all. I don't think. <laughs> um, but. And I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, one of the interesting things about it is like it's got kind of a timeless quality to it, I think, for a children's book. I mean, they've got like cars and t- and they talk about TVs and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but it never really feels like I couldn't necessarily pin down like if it's a modern book. It probably is supposed to be set in the modern setting, but they don't talk a great deal about so it feels Internet like it stuff. Kind of sit. Yeah, it, it feels like it kind of sit in, in about anywhere. Um, which I think is a neat quality for a children's book. Yeah. It kind of it kind of makes you feel like because a lot of you know older stuff you know kind of has a nice simple kids quality to it that you know some modern stuff would try to try to be too hip or something yeah. and they'd come off as lame. Yeah, this doesn't come off that way at all. Mm-hmm. It's 
is you can tell it's written by someone who really enjoys reading books and uh, you know good stories like that. Yeah. So I really enjoyed it. It was neat find. And I hear there's some sequels to it. Um, but the nice thing about this this book was that it all it all ends. You know, it's a complete story. I mean, there's there's some things that you could see making, but at the same time, the story is complete in and of itself. Okay. And so, so yeah, I, if you're looking for a interesting, <laughs> uh, Greg says he's adding a mysterious bidding society to his reading list right now, along with the unremarkable squire. Oh, nice. So actually, yeah, Greg, it would be right up his alley. So if you enjoy stuff like Redwall, uh, yeah. it's not, well, it's not really Redwall book, but you know what I mean by children's <laughs> All book. these things I'm saying, it's like, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> But it is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Greg, so a couple things, Greg, and we're just commenting here because he is actually listening to us live. So we reward people who do this stuff. Um, but some of the big things for him this year were accomplishing his first ever screenplay, creating the longest story he's ever written, which is good. Which is good. We both read it yeah, and we, we both enjoyed it. And uh, he read the Fellowship of the Ring for the first time, which he admits is shameful that it's the first time. But you know what? I'll tell you what. When I I had read uh, this is weird, but I read Lord of the Rings back in second or third grade, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. Way too early, probably. Yeah. Um, and then I read them again sometime later. But then I remember in college rereading them, and and especially especially Return of the King, really feeling like why, like really getting a different sense of it and really being like. I don't know, the language, the style, the the kind of the the epicness of the battle, the darkness, the I just read the, the this phrase today again, the long the battle against the long defeat, hmm. um, the passing away of Middle Earth, all that I'm like, it really impacted me third time I read it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so well, and I think yeah, there's definitely something about sort of reading that at a certain age that makes there's, a difference. There's a lot of class, a lot of books I read back in like high school or early college. I really would like to get back to mm-hmm. like that, like almost all my C.S. Lewis. Which I guess is kind of how we t- we talked about that uh, last the last no, not last December. Less uh, old story in a, in a previous podcast, yeah. Uh, when we talked about going back and rereading stuff, yeah, because it takes on a different meaning. Though. It does. Or sometimes you're like, oh yeah, I, I you only got fuel out of it for a couple of years, and then you need it back so you can get fuel going again. Yeah. So. Um, like I'm not sure I would be one of these parents that shows their kids Star Wars when they're like three or four. Like, no, I think they should wait till they're eight or nine where they would really be able to appreciate yeah. it. Because yeah. <laughs> All right. And and hopefully they'll remember it. Okay. We better get moving here. Yeah. Um, sorry that, uh, Greg, you just turned in, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're tr- it's probably about time we uh, wrap this up because this is going on long, and I think Nick has kind of run out of... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I ran out of steam tonight. Just <laughs> That's all right. All right. So what is our contact info? Do you have steam for that? Oh, uh, yes, I do. Our contact info... Uh... Oh, okay. Is, uh... <laughs> Hang on. I need to wind you back up. <laughs> Gmail at... Or Gmail at not... <laughs> <laughs> Gmail at derailedtrainsofthought.com. <laughs> Take that, Google. Um, we took you over. <laughs> uh, derailedtrains at gmail.com and get hold of us at, or you can visit our website at, at derailedtrains.blogspot.com. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, which is always helpful. Mm-hmm. And in case you uh, only follow the iTunes, um, if you, you know, if you ever want to listen to like the raw, uncut version of this with mess ups and phones ringing when yeah. they shouldn't um <laughs> you can also check us out on the place where they are still available on our mixler site that's mixler.com slash derailed trains of thought 
long it's a long address but you can type that in but it works but it works and you can f- you can find really all of our raw uh broadcasts are on there in case you want to listen to like the pre-show unrated and uncut <laughs> yes well anywho <laughs> yes uh, i see what you did there <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. What? <laughs> Anywho, we're Whoville. <laughs> That's right. Okay, anyway, it's that has been fun. Um, Nick, uh, I think it's time for your soundtrack. Okay, so I was trying desperately, since we're talking about Glut, trying to get some more Maze Dude in here, and Tim put down his foot and said, no, you can't have a six-minute Maze Dude that has nothing to do with Christmas. So, instead, I went to Joshua Morris. <laughs> because, so, so a five-and-a-half-minute song that does have something to do with Christmas. Yes, hey, I solved one of the two of the things, like, Anyways, so Joshua Morse, who is also a regular uh, featuree on our podcast. Hey, he wrote our theme. Yeah, he's pretty awesome. Um, nice guy. This is from remix from Final Fantasy X um, called The Rondo Sanctuary. And it's a nice uh, wintry sort of sounding song. And I hope you enjoy it. And for my brother, who always says we should uh, make the soundtrack shorter, um, this is five and a half minutes just for you. <laughs> All right, so um, how how'd, uh, how'd the best get out of Whoville? Uh, well, I get out of here. We're going to eat supper and stuff, aren't we? Oh, that's true. Yeah, we got to stay for the roast here. Yeah, and yeah, singing. Lots of singing. Lots of <laughs> singing. And uh, and that's uh, Boris Karloff, I hear, is around here somewhere. Yeah. So it, it should be a good time. It should be good. Yeah. I don't, Yeah, we'll stay here until we get swept over to wherever we go next. <laughs> so how do we get from place to place? We'll have to figure that out one of these days. That would be a great addition to our own mythology. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so. All right. So this has been the Real Trains about episode 40. 40. We are old now. We're over the hill. It's it's been a, it's been fun. It has been actually a lot of fun. So we'll look we'll uh, when we get to episode 50, we'll have to do a big shindig. Big, big shindig. Yeah, we weren't quite ready for a shindig this time. Yeah, it, it, it didn't seem right to do a third anniversary when we've really only had like five episodes this year. Yeah. So, <laughs> but anywho. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, this has been Tim. This has been Nick, and we will see you next time. Adios.
should we should have this. It's amazing that you've had me podcast as well as I do. <laughs> I went out and look at it. It's a gorgon. <laughs> Their favorite cheese is gorgonzola. <laughs> what is that from? No, uh, Medusa's favorite cheese has to be gorgonzola. It's gorgons and I don't know. It's, is that an actual cheese? Yeah. Gorgonzola? Gorgonzola? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I don't know my cheeses very <laughs> well. Well, that's important. You never watch Monty Python, then. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, yeah. I mean, I should just st- study the, that, uh, that skit. I don't know all the just cheeses. Just that skit. <laughs> no, all the cheeses there co- could possibly be. <laughs> this is, is, is going to be an attack for the iTunes <laughs> version. <laughs> it sounds good. I like it.